Will you please turn in your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4, or chapter 6, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomos, this is the second giving of the law, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and this morning we'll be considering a very familiar passage, I encourage you not to tune this out just because you're familiar with it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 4. Hear now God's perfect word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we have read your perfect word. We plead with you now that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. These words would not just be dead, familiar words on a page. But by the power of your Spirit, you would indeed allow us to love you. For you have first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Fictional couple, John and Amber, met in college. And as they were in college, they would stay up all night talking to one another, right? Just getting to know each other, just chatting with one another. John would be on the phone with her late at night, just wanting to get to know about her, just wanting to talk with her about everything that happened in the day. She would run all the way across campus just to stand next to the door of his, his classroom when it got out so they could just walk to the next class just to talk with each other. They have this picture-perfect wedding, right? It's at sunset, the mountains are, are there, and, and it's a beautiful marriage. Fast forward 30 years later, kids are out of the house, the TV is on, dinners are silent, is the love still there? I'd like to propose to you that often this is what happens in the Christian heart if we are not diligent in remembering these words. Jesus Christ himself said, this is the greatest commandment, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But often in our lives, if we're honest about where we are spiritually, there are moments and times in your life, if you're like me, that we have to be rebuked from Revelation. One thing I have against you, you have forgotten your first love. So this morning, this morning the call for you is to hear God and to love Him. To both hear God and love Him. But first, we need to listen. Verse 4 tells us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But it starts off with this word, Shema. If you walked into most Jewish synagogues, even today the the presenter would get up there at at the bima and he would, Shema, Shema, Shema. Listen, listen, listen. Right, that's, how they, that's how they would call this, everybody to order. 
Right? Now is the time that you pay attention. That's what God is doing here with his people. As they're about to enter into the promised land, he tells them, listen up. Open your ears. I've got something to say to you and you need to pay attention to what I have said and what I'm going to say. And this morning, God himself is commanding you to listen, to hear him, to take his words to heart. But the question is, who do you listen to in this life? Who do you listen to? The world is going to try to tell you, you just need to cross the street and go to a university. And the world is going to try to tell you, listen to us. Because we're going to tell you to listen to our wisdom. Or listen to your own heart. You need to just listen to your emotions, your feelings. You need to get in, in touch there, and there you'll find who you, are, who you are supposed to be most authentically. And God says, no. No, no, you need to listen to me, who I am and who I have called you to be. You need to remember that it is God himself who created these grand mountains it is God who put the stars in the sky. It is God who created the oceans. And it is God who knits you together in your mother's womb. And so because of who he is and who he has made you to be, we listen to him. See, he is ontologically higher than us. He is greater than us. In the economy of his world, he's the general and we're the privates. He gives the commands, and we listen. Our world doesn't like that type of order, but that's the way in which God created the world. We need to remember the context. We're at Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're at the last of the five books of Moses, and there's been a whole bunch of stuff that has gone on before, and God has proved himself faithful to his people. God made promises to Abraham. God made promises to Isaac. God made promises to Jacob. He fulfilled those promises. He told them they were going to go into a land of slavery, be there for 400 years, but he would redeem them out. And the people who are standing before Moses here are the people who, as babes, walked through the Red Sea on the dry ground. They had eaten the manna for 40 years. They had seen God swallow up those rebellious people during Korah's rebellion. They were the people who had been there as little children and had seen the fire and the smoke, the thunder, and heard the voice of God on Mount Sinai. They knew God. They knew Him as their Redeemer. They knew Him as their Sustainer. They knew Him as the one who who called them to be his covenant people. They knew exactly where they stood. They knew who God was. They knew his holiness, his perfection. And they knew that when he spoke, they needed to listen. The question this morning is, so what? Do you? Do you know God that way? Do you know God as the sovereign one? Do you know God is the one who, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you? Do you know him as the Redeemer who bought 
your soul with not gold or silver, with the, but with the very precious blood of his own son, Jesus Christ? Do you listen to him with fidelity? Do you humble yourself, turn your heart, and listen to his word? Some of you, and I don't know very many of you at all. It's a nice thing about being a guest preacher. You don't know most people, right? And so I get to make all sorts of assumptions and just throw things out there. But some of you are older than me. I can see that. And some of you have been doing this for years. For decades and decades longer. Don't give up. Do not grow weary of listening to the one who has redeemed you and loved your soul. Do not grow tired and let your heart grow cold. Thank God for the faithfulness of the older saints who live amongst the church. One of the things I love about the Reformed Church is kids, you have different people in worship. You know, the, the type of church I grew up in, there were no kids. We were all sent to a room down the hall. We never got to see the gray-haired people sing God's praises. Take note of those who are walking before you in faithfulness. Be encouraged by them. Look to them. Ask them questions about God and his word. Today, God is calling us to lean in, to listen up, to make sure these words don't fall upon our hard hearts. Because, see, when we open up the Lord's word, when we listen to him, first we find out who he is. The first things that the scriptures principally teach is who God is. When you open up your Bible and you look at a passage, one of the crucial questions you must ask yourself is, what does this teach me about who God is? I just got to tell you, I was... I was not planning on presiding this morning. That was a surprise to me, a, a blessing. It was a surprise, but a blessing. And I wasn't prepared to read Ezekiel. But when you read a passage like Ezekiel, what does it teach you about who God is? He is like a husband, jealously in love for his people. So we read hard passages, and we might scratch our heads at them, but they teach us about who God is. In the context of this, when it tells us in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It is teaching us about the unity of the Godhead. Unlike all the pagan societies all around them that would have a God to the ocean and a God to the stars and a God to the hunt and a God to this and a God to that, they had just come out of Egypt. Just go study for five minutes Egyptology. And you'll find out all these different gods all around, the sun god and, and the fish god. and, and all the, No, it's none of that. There's one God who made heaven and earth and is sovereign and rules his people, loves his people. The context of this, if you just skipped over one, back one page, Deuteronomy chapter 5 is the Ten Commandments. He's telling them. I am the Lord thy God. You're not to have any other gods beside me. You're not to make yourself for yourself graven images, bowing down to them and serving them. No, I redeemed you. I brought you up out of Egypt by my righteous right hand. This is the God they knew well. To be honest with you, it was the God that they shaked in their boots 
at the foot of Mount Sinai when they heard his voice and said, we can't hear this anymore. We need you, Moses, to be a mediator between God Almighty and us. This is a God who had led them by a pillar of smoke, a pillar of fire. This is the God they knew. But they had been with this visible God in his manifestations for four decades. Now there's a problem with marriages. And I'll be one to confess this happens sometimes in our marriage. When my wife will say something to me, and I'll nod my head. And I heard what she said, but I did not listen to what she was saying. Maybe you found yourself that way. You've been a Christian for a decade, two decades, three decades, four decades, six decades, eight decades. And you come in Lord's Day morning after Lord's Day morning, and you hear the word preached, and you go home and you think, I don't even remember what I heard. How did this change my life? Why isn't this affecting me anymore? Is this just routine? That is not the Lord's plan for your life, for you to become comfortable and complacent with the God of the universe. That is not how we are to treat Him. That is not how we are to treat His Word. This is why Jesus Himself tells us that the greatest commandment is to love your God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.5. So third point here is love your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You know, every good Jewish kid would have known this verse by heart. It's almost like the Jewish Pledge of Allegiance. Before they went to bed every night, parents would often ask their children to recite the Shema. So every night they'd go to bed, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'achavta et Adonai Elohecha, Bechol Ledevecha, Ubechol Me'odecha. You would have to actually say to yourself, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And they knew this by heart. But sometimes when something is rote, it becomes dumb. And by dumb, I mean unhearing. Dull. It's not meant to be dull. Jesus picks this up and he says, with all your strength, meod there is, is veriness. Right, or as my little boy likes to say, all your meodecha. Right? All, all your might, all, all that you are. Right? Are you holding something back from the Lord, Christian? Right? Is there something, uh, some effort, some area in your life, somewhere in your life that you have put off to the side and you've just become lax in your Christian life? Has your holiness become stagnant? Has your Bible reading been wrote? Has your prayer closet been empty? Have you been saving back when Jesus says, spend yourself for the Lord? Jesus picks up on this idea of, of loving the Lord your God, and people have this fight against, what does he mean? Does Jesus add to God's word when he says, with all your mind? Well, no, what Jesus is picking up at is, you must love the Lord your God, not just with all your physical strength, not just with what you do, not just all your veriness, but also with your lev. 
The Hebrew idea here is your heart. But in a Hebraic understanding, your mind and your heart are connected. What you think about affects what you love. And what you love will show in what you think about. These two are inextricably linked. You cannot remove them from each other. Jesus says, are you thinking about God's thoughts? Are you feeling after what God tells you to feel? He says, we must love him with all of our mind and with all of our heart. With every part of you, God demands allegiance. There is not one square inch of your reasoning, of your rationality, or of your life in which Jesus Christ does not demand your affection and loyalty. It doesn't matter if it's your marriage. It doesn't matter if it's your job. It doesn't matter if it's your recreations. It doesn't matter if it's your relationships. Every area of your life is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Hold nothing back from him. Married couples, I'm going to ask you, how did you fall in love with your spouse? Wives, how, how did you fall in love with your husbands? Husbands, think, think back. For some of you, you don't have to think too far back. For some of you, you have to think way far back. How did you fall in love with your wife? Did you just sit across the table and just stare at each other? Maybe there were times of doing that and everybody else felt awkward around you, but... But I'm guessing you talked. I'm guessing you communicated with one another. You enjoyed spending time with one another. Spending time just wanting to chat, wanting to hear the other person's voice. Do you remember what it was like when you were first converted? Do you remember having a hunger and thirst for God's word, that was never meant to stop. It was never meant to grow cold. It was never meant to end. One of the reasons why our hearts grow cold to God is because either A, we stop listening to him by hearing his word, or B, we stop taking it to heart and doing something about it. Kind of just like listening to your wife and nodding your head, but not actually hearing what she's saying. Nothing will kill a marriage faster than a spouse deciding that they don't want to hear the other person anymore or talk with them anymore. And nothing will kill your love for God quicker than shutting his Bible and letting it gather dust on your shelf. The question is, how do we hear him? How do we hear him? Right? Verse 6. Deuteronomy 4, 6, 4, 6, 6, sorry. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. How do you get something on your heart? Uh, there, there's, there's, I, I love going to World War II museums. It's really fun. My wife hates going with me because it's really slow moving and I want to read everything. But I really like going to war museums. Some of my favorite artifacts of war museums are letters from home. And you're always able to tell when a letter from home was actually written on a guy's heart because often what would happen is somebody would get a letter and, and that guy would get a letter from his wife or a letter from his girlfriend back at home and he would take that letter and he would fold it in half and he'd stick it in his pocket. And then at night, he would pull it back out and read it again and 
fold it back over and put it back in his pocket, so much so that the paper almost becomes like linen in its creases. It just finds its way right back, right where it's supposed to go. Night after night, he opens it up and he reads it again. And and there are so many countless soldiers, sailors, who could recite those words almost verbatim. Because it was written on their heart. He had buried them in his heart. I'm giving you guys a simple sermon, all right? There's, there's like a really only one point. Love the Lord and go read his word. This is the Lord's letter to his people. He gives it to us to read it, to memorize it, to meditate on it. He actually tells us that, right? When Joshua is about to go into war, when they're, when they're sitting on the other side of the Jordan River, and he's being commissioned by God to go in and conquer the land, what does the Lord tell him? What does he need to know? shall meditate on this word day and night for then your way will be prosperous and then you will have good success where will he find strength and courage as the Lord commands him time and time again by remembering God's word remembering God's promises remembering God's redemption remembering God's laws remembering who God is and what he had done and who Joshua and the people were meant to be as he had that overarching arc in his mind regularly, they would have success. But just go read the scriptures, and what happens as people shut it and put it away? Apostasy, idolatry, ruin, disaster. So much so that it's not until Josiah is king that they find the law somewhere in a back corner of the temple. And everybody's like, whoa, we've been doing everything wrong. Maybe for some of you, that's where you need to be. You need to find that long-forgotten Bible that's collecting dust, open it back up, and find a reformation for your heart and your life. Have his word written on your heart. Next notice, it's not just individually. It is not just meant for you, but you are to teach these things diligently to your children. Look at me at verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Man, this is purposeful and time-consuming. This is not an easy thing to do if you're going to take these words seriously. But I need to warn you, right? There's there's, there's this real warning here. Salvation is a gift of the Lord. Especially in many conservative churches and in homeschool families. I've gone to homeschool conferences where people have actually said things like this before. If you just do A, meaning read the Bible with your kids, then B will happen. Your children will be Christians. No. No, I, I, I need to stand before you and warn you. It would be unloving for me to give you that type of of assumption. You raise them in the greenhouse of faith. But their hearts are the Lord's. But children, that does not give you a reason to zone out, to not listen to your parents, to not tune in when the pastor is preaching. But parents, your sovereign obligation and blessing that you get to raise your children in the faith. 
Whether or not they latch on to that, that's the Lord's work in their hearts. But will you read the word with them? When they're going to bed, will you remind them of the things of God? When you sit down to eat, what's your conversation look like? When you're, man, you, this is a good one for here. We don't walk too much in Iowa. There's not too much to see. You can see cornfield and cornfield, but you guys have mountains and mountains. When you're taking hikes, do you declare the glory of God to your children? Do you show them that there are things in this life that are difficult and hard, and, and do you teach them this is what the Lord tells us about this? In all areas of your life, when you're walking through things, do you take God's word because it's buried in your heart and show how this is applicable to your children's lives? The only way for you to know this, parents, is if you know the book yourself. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to do this perfectly. This is not, I hope that you do not walk out of here and think, man, that was a good Pharisee legalistic message. No, this is what redeemed people do. Out of a heart of love for our king, we do his commands. You have the blessing of whether you're getting ready for school, whether you're driving down the road, whether you're sitting down at dinner, or when you're about to do bedtime activities to open up the word with your children. You have the blessing. This is a fun one in the RP world. I didn't know it until I came into this denomination of family worship. And some of you, family worship is like this big boogie monster that you don't want to talk about because you don't know how to do it and it seems unconquerable. I would encourage you, just like you did for the Old Testament reading, just pick up a paragraph or two at a time. Just read a little bit with your children every day when you sit down for a meal. Right? Bundle it up with something you already do with your children. Read the God's word with them and then pray with them. If you have time, open up the Psalter and sing a psalm with them. You can do these things with your children every day. We take baptismal vows that will give our children a God-centered education. You have that blessing to think about how will you educate your children to give them the best possibility to love the Lord. But then beyond just this, not just, again, individualistic to our own hearts, but it is also to all the children in the congregation. Some of you do not have children in this congregation, but God has given you a deep knowledge of his word and a love for his son, Jesus Christ. God has told you older men to go disciple the younger men. None of you older men will get a slide when God asks you, did you train up the next generation? Elder Pinson just came up here and pleaded that God would raise up new statesmen, new leaders for our country. How will the young men know how to live their lives in a godly way unless you older men, and I'm, I'm sorry for pointing you here, but I want to challenge you in a hard way. You older men, I don't care if you're 40 years old or 80 years old, you have an obligation by God to disciple the younger men. Older women, you likewise. As we see the attack on the family, as we see our society crumbling, as we see marriages falling apart, how will the younger women know how they are to live their lives, love their God, care for their families, live in society? 
unless you devote your life to teaching the younger women. And I'm not giving this to you as a law of, of overbearing Pharisee legalism. But this is your blessing. Right? God has raised you up for this very hour to love the little ones in this church, to disciple them, to nurture them, to train them, to challenge them, to teach them. Teach these things diligently to your children. And children, you're off, off the hook here. You know, I want to know what your job is. Listen. Listen and obey. Honor those who are over you. Notice those who are spiritually mature and are loving you like Christ. Look at them and follow them as they follow Christ. Boys, we want you to grow up to be strong warriors in God's kingdom. Listen to God and listen to those who are teaching you his word. Young women, girls, we want to see you grow up as strong and godly women for his kingdom and for his glory. So lean in and listen. Listen to those who are teaching you the way of Jesus Christ. Bury his word in your heart. Next, show future generations God's love, not just by teaching them his word, but by how you live your life. Look with me at the last few verses, 7 through 9. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now this is not saying that you need to go to Hobby Lobby and buy them out of all their scripture plaques. Okay, that's not what this is saying. But this is saying at every turn of your life, are you leaving a legacy for the next generation that they know the way of the Lord? How will your children remember you? How will your grandchildren remember you? What is the legacy you are leaving behind? Is it one in which they say, man, every time I talk to mom, it's like she had a Bible verse ready at hand. Every time I was struggling with sin, it's like dad was able to, to give me a, a fighter verse that we could work on. Whenever we went to grandma and grandpa's house, every time we went, we had family worship. What's the legacy you're leaving behind? I'm going to give you a seventh point. That's a big no-no in, in Dr. Pruto's book, but that's fine. I need you to remember, though, who gave you this command. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this would be nothing but legalism. Nothing but do, 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 earn your own salvation. Go, go, go. Unless we understood that none of us can fulfill this perfectly. You're going to fail. You're going to fall. There's going to be times in which you don't have that Bible verse ready. There's going to be times in which your Bible was not open. There's going to be times in which you zone out during a sermon because you're just doggedly tired from the work the previous day. 
But your salvation was never dependent on your obedience to this command. It was Jesus Christ who kept this command perfectly. It is Jesus Christ who loved the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his soul, with all his strength, and loved his neighbor as himself. And who was his neighbor? It was you. And the righteousness which he earned has been imputed to you. Your salvation does not hinge on the perfect obedience of this command. Your salvation hinges upon Jesus Christ's righteousness and sacrifice. But now it is your blessing as you are in Christ. You get to live out these words without the crushing weight of guilt. But knowing that it is Jesus Christ in you and you in him that you get to by grace live out these words. So brothers and sisters, lean in. Shema. Hear him. Open his word. Love him. And share this with the generations to come. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that we are sinful people. We can't do this on our own. Father, we confess to you that there are days in which we just utterly fail this. Where we let our children down. Where we let our grandchildren down. Father, we pray that you would fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ, our only hope. And Father, that your Holy Spirit would so work in our hearts that you would take these words and spur us on towards sanctification. That we would be less and less in love with the world and the things of this world. And we would be busy about your kingdom and your righteousness. Father, please help us. In Jesus' name, amen.